0: The following audio is from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Acts is available at actschurchleander.com.
1: We have the scriptures today on screen from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 5, uh, I mean chapter 5 verses 11 through 21. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our minds, as some may say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, And therefore, all died. And he died for all, that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God.
2: Heavenly Father, God, you are a good God. God, you are a God who has been working throughout all of creation to see a world that is so good at separating ourselves, so good at breaking apart. Lord, to bring us back together. Lord, we pray that as we encounter you and your story and your heart for reconciliation, Lord, that we may leave changed. Uh, Lord, that we may leave uh, closer to who you would have us be. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So we are starting a series called Church in Motion. And not just Axe Leander, but actually every Axe church, so there's four of us in our little network, Axe Lakeway, Axe Leander, Axe Kyle, and Axe Lakeline are all doing the same series. And in fact, we're going to be doing a preacher swap. And so you will see me here this Sunday, but every other Sunday, I'm going to be at a different church and a different pastor is going to be here giving a different take on what it looks like for the church to be in motion together. Today, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to be a reconciling church. But to kind of set the stage for what we're talking about, we put together a bumper video by Tanner Olson, one of the Axe guys. And so, if we can get that going.
0: What does it mean to be an Axe church? In this series, Church in Motion, we look at how the church lives and moves in an ever-changing world. We are focusing on four words found in the Nicene Creed, beautiful and powerful words professed by followers of Jesus across the centuries and around the world. When we declare the church to be one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic, we are drawn into the missionary activity of the triune God. As a unifying church, we actively partner with others in kingdom ministry. As a sanctifying church, we demonstrate the effects of forgiveness and healing to the world, not just to our own members. As a reconciling church, we are given the ministry of peacemaking in the midst of racism, division, and brokenness. And as a proclaiming church, we preach, teach, mobilize and send disciples who make disciples, who plant churches that plant churches, all to the glory
2: of Jesus. So that phrase comes from something that we call the Nicene Creed. Now, typically at Acts, we do the Apostles' Creed. And there are three major creeds within the historic Christian church. And this is not has anything to do with being Lutheran or Baptist or Catholic or Orthodox. These are the three oldest creeds that the Christian church throughout the entire world has says, hey, this is what we believe about God. And the Apostles' Creed is the shortest of the bunch. And it really gives an overview of God the Father, God the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit. And historically, that has been the baptismal creed. So when someone would come to faith, they would get up in front of the church, and before they were baptized, they would say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and so on, and so on. It was a way of confirming and confessing, this is the God that has adopted me into the family. But the Nicene Creed and the Athanasius Creed, their history is a little bit different. Their history came out of a church that was wrestling with who is Jesus, who is God, Is Jesus like a demigod? Is he kind of like a Hercules type character who's got these kind of like half God powers, but he's also half man because we also know he's man. And so we had all these questions about what kind of a God Jesus was. What did it mean when he says, I'm the son of God? And so the Nicene Creed really goes out of its way to explain what that looks like. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful text, it is a true text, but it's also a text that gets a little wordy. So you have stuff like this. And I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God, very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things are made. It's this very clear, like, we want to be very explicit about what type of God we believe Jesus is. The Nicene Creed was in response to what we would consider heresy, wrong thinking, wrong understanding, wrong belief about who Jesus was. But at the end of the Nicene Creed, you have this line. And it says, I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. And it's those four words, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic that we're going to be focusing on in this series. Because there is only one church. It's not Acts. It's not the Acts Network churches. No, Hill Country Bible, St. Peter's, Axe Leander, churches in India, churches in Palestine, churches in China, Central America, Africa. We're all part of one family. There is only one God and one church, and we're all a part of it together. Now, yes, we have different flavors, and we have different ways of expressing our worship and expressing our belief in who this God is, but at our core, we believe there is only one church, and we're all a part of it. And so we're going to talk about what that looks like, that we're all a part of the same church. How do we treat one another? How do we respect one another in that? Beyond that, though, we believe we are a holy church. We believe because of what Jesus did, that we get to be called righteous, that we are pure in God's eyes. Today we're going to be talking about what it looks like to be a Catholic church. And this is not Catholic from a denominational standpoint. I'm not saying that we're all now going to start wearing the robes and, you know, talking to the Pope and stuff like that. That's not what the word Catholic means. It's an original context that meant universal, but universal in a relational aspect. And then finally, an apostolic church, a church that is sent, a church that has a mission. And with each of those words, we've kind of put an action to them. So one is a unifying church. Holy is a sanctifying church. Catholic, today we're going to be talking about a reconciling church. And finally, apostolic and a proclaiming church. And today, though, reconciling. And we live in a world that does desperately needs to be reconciled. This is really apparent right now. Our government is shut down because we don't know how to reconcile with one another. Literally, the heart of the shutdown is two sides that don't know how to talk to one another anymore, that are fighting with one another. But it's not just our government. Our communities are not reconciled. Races are not reconciled. Countries are at war because they don't know how to be reconciled with one another. Our families are at war because we don't know how to reconcile with one another. The world is desperately at, in need of a group of people that spe- specializes in reconciliation. Because right now, we are mucking it up, something fierce. And mind you, this isn't just a modern-day issue that we have. The history of humanity is full of people who don't know how to reconcile. There used to be a philosophy, this understanding within the church, that, hey, you know what? Humanity's getting better. Like, we are evolving as a species, and so we're learning how to be better people. And for sure, certain things have come a long ways. We now say, you know what? Sexual harassment. Yeah, that, that's not okay. We could say things like, being a racist, you know what, that's not okay. So there are ways where we make progress, but what you see throughout all of history is whenever humanity takes one step forward in one area, we find some new way to stab each other in the back. We find some way to dehumanize one another, to shame one another, to ridicule one another. And so, yeah, we'll make progress in this area, but then this other side we get blindsided by and we start regressing. And we're going to talk a little bit about where that comes from today, but to understand that, we need to understand the difference between two words, tribes and tribalism. All of us have tribes. We have dozens of them, probably hundreds of them, each of us individually, right? Your tribe may be, I am a Houston Texan fan. Or your tribe may be a Dallas Cowboy fan. Or you may be like me, perpetually a bridesmaid, never the bride, as a Detroit Lions fan, right? right? There's different tribes, different places that we identify with. The school you go to is a tribe. The family you belong to is a tribe. The church you belong to is a tribe. Your political beliefs are tribes, it's just how we identify with others, right? And say, like, hey, that person kind of thinks the same way I do. They like the same kind of music that I do, the same kind of video games, same kind of board games, same type of clothing that I like. Tribes are all over the world, and they're natural. And they're not good, they're not bad. They're just a way that we categorize ourselves, a way that we identify with others. But the difference between tribes and tribalism is huge. I was looking for a definition of tribalism, and I found this. We live in a time of tribalism, not of of ideologies or parties or groups or beliefs. These don't convey the same impregnability of our fortifications or the yawning chasms between them. The situation today requires a word as primal as tribalism to get at the blind allegiances In huge passions of partisan affiliation. Does that sound a little familiar to you guys right now? Tribes demand loyalty. And in return, they confer security of belonging. They're badges of identity, not of thought. And in a way, they make thinking unnecessary because they do it for you. And they'll punish you if you try to do it for yourself. To go against your tribe makes you a fool. To give an inch to the other tribe makes you a sucker. Isn't that our world today? Isn't that how we treat people from other tribes? Oh, you're a Republican? You're obviously a horrible human being. Oh, you're a Democrat? You're obviously a horrible human being. We shame one another. We ridicule one another. We attack. We dehumanize. We don't reconcile. In fact, we do the exact opposite of reconcile. We rip apart communities. And we say, you're either with us or you are against us. And if you are against us, you're an enemy. In fact, if you're against us, I can demonize you. And guess what? I'm allowed to hate demons. I'm allowed to ridicule and shame and belittle because you're not as human as I am. You see, at the heart of tribalism is sin because that's what sin does. Sin makes us better than the other. It makes us smarter than them or a better heart than them. It makes us more right than them. And then when they're below us, We have the obligation to make sure they know it. We have the obligation to be separate from them. That's what sin does. That's always what sin does. It just rips us apart. It gets into our lives. It gets into our families. It gets into our communities. It gets into our politics. It gets into our countries. And it just tears us to shreds. Scripture talks about it this way in Galatians. It says, the acts, the flesh, sin are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. Then hear this. Hatred, do we have any of that going on right now in our country, in our world? Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies all there. It's what sin specializes in. The tribes of the world, the tribalism of the world, the core of it is our sinful nature. And what we find in Scripture is it infects all of us. I'm a pastor and I'm infected with sin. You are sons and daughters of God. You're still infected with sin. You're still infected with this ism that separates you from everyone else, that wants to categorize in a smaller and smaller and smaller categories, us versus them. And yet in the midst of all this tribalism, In the midst of a world that says, I will identify with you, and I'm going to find some way to do that. If I have to get the right degree, if I have to get the right badge, if I have to say the right thing, I will identify with this tribe. The core of Christianity flips it on its head. You see, the story of Christianity is not... Wait for it. There we go. (laughs) Um... The story of Christianity is not that we reached up to God. The story of Christianity is not that we figured out God's tribe. The story of Christianity is God saying, I'm going to fight for you. When you are in rebellion, when you are still demonizing God's children, when you are still otherizing, he says, I'm going to fight for you when you were still in rebellion, when sin still has its tangles all around you, it says, I'm going to die for you, I'm going to love you, I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to give you grace. And grace starts at forgiveness, but it doesn't end there. Grace literally means carrots. it means gifts. And what are the gifts of God? It's forgiveness, it's his presence, it's his promise that you have a community and a family it's things like daily bread. It's a promise of eternity. It's a promise of purpose. You see, the core of Christianity is not that we reached up into God's tribe. It's that God's tribe reached down and wrapped his arms around us and said, I love you. And I will fight for you. And I will go to any lengths to have a relationship with you. And that's where we get stuff like Romans. Romans. Where it says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, right? Not when we were reaching up. When we were still captive to sin, when everything had gone wrong. While we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. See, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though if you were good, eh, someone might possibly die for you. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ dies for us. But God demonstrates his love for Josh in this. While Josh was still sinning, he died for me. God demonstrates his love for you in this. While you were still stuck in all the muck, all the discord, all the jealousy, all the fits of rage, all the selfish ambition, he dies. He sacrifices. He says, and I'm not even just done yet. I have gifts for you. I have grace for you. I have a new community for you. I have a new way of living for you. And it's in that, that we start to see the major difference between the tribe of Christ being a Christian and the tribes of the world. The different way that we relate. The different way that we enter into conversation. This comes from George Orwell, it's this really good example of us versus them thinking, the way the world thinks. The habit of identifying oneself with a single nation or other tribe, placing it beyond good and evil and recognizing no other duty than, and this is the important part, advancing its interest. The abiding purpose of every tribe is to secure more power and more prestige, not for oneself, but for the nation or other unit in which he has chosen to sink his own individuality. The tribes of the world, their goal is more power and more prestige. Us versus them. How do I make sure my tribe, whether it's a political class, a racial class, a nationalistic class, whatever it is, how do I make sure that my tribe is stronger, is getting better, is getting more prestige than the other? Whatever other that is, that is how the way the world operates. God comes in and he says, No, 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 I have a different perspective. It's not us versus them, it's us for them. I say it a lot Team Jesus, right? You want to know who Team Jesus is for? Team humanity. The role of the church, the purpose of God's people, is team Jesus for team humanity. And he started it, right? And how does he model it? While we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion, while we were still not reaching up to God, God reached down and says, I will fight for you. I will live for you. I will love you. And he says, and since I fought that way for you, now team Jesus, you're on my tribe. I'm going to teach you how to fight for the rest of humanity. I'm going to teach you how to be those agents of reconciliation, ambassadors of Christ. That's where Corinthians comes from. Oh, there we go. That's what I was looking for. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting the people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. God created us, Team Jesus, for Team Humanity, to be the most reconciling, life giving, and forgiving tribe. Our role as Christians is not to be right. Our role as Christians is not to have the most power or the most prestige. Our role as Christians is to be the place where if someone goes, they know forgiveness is embodied. Our role as Christians is when people encounter us, communities start getting knit back together this life-giving force that Jesus pours into us, he says, I want you to take that with you. This doesn't mean that truth is relative. This doesn't mean that uh, anything goes. This doesn't mean that other tribes at times are going to be wrong and we don't stand up to that. No. But we do it differently. When we lean into those situations, when we encounter those times, when we see hurting people hurt people, we enter in with love with the posture of Christ. And it's hard. Because hurting people hurt people. We end up getting hurt. And our first reaction is going to be, all right, time to start the smiting. Time to do us versus them again. And what Christ says is, no, because I forgave you, I need you to forgive them. Christ says, because I turned the other cheek with you, I need you to turn the other cheek with them. And it's in that posture, that real reconciliation can happen because someone has to be the first not to be offended. And the first original person not to be offended was this guy named Jesus. And because he was willing to put down the stones, because he forgave us, we have a relationship with Christ. We have a relationship with God, and then he sends us out and he says, I want you to have that same impact. And it's hard, but it's beautiful and it's powerful and it's life giving and it changes everything. But the only way we can encounter this is if we're honest with our God. Is if we're honest that, you know what, I still need forgiveness. Because as much as I would love to tell you that, you know what, I became a Christian and I never made another mistake again, that is not my story. My wife can attest to this. I make mistakes on a moment-by-moment basis. I get invested in tribalism. My own anger, my own jealousy, my own fits of rage, they still happen. And what we find in that, in the rhythm of the church, is a God who says, just come to me for forgiveness and I will pour it out again. I will pour my forgiveness on you, Joshua, on you, Acts Church, as many times as you need it. It is an unending fountain. And when we position ourselves underneath that fountain of grace and forgiveness, it gives us the posture to leave with a posture of grace and forgiveness. It's in ourselves being forgiven, in ourselves being honest with God, I'm not perfect and I need you, that he says, you are again reconciled to me, and now I'm going to send you out to be agents and ambassadors of reconciliation to a broken world. And so we build that into a rhythm as a church, spaces where we can say, God, we need your love and your forgiveness. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. They're going to sing a song about the love of God, reflecting on how big that love is, how powerful that love is. And then Pastor Valier is going to come up, and we're going to have the Lord's Supper, where we again hear the words, this is my body Broken for you. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, a new covenant, a new way to be reconciled to God. And then from that posture of grace and forgiveness, we get to leave and share that posture, that power of reconciliation with a world that desperately needs it. Heavenly Father God, we come before you thankful. That you specialize isn't in broken people, that you specialize in rebellious kids. Because each of us in our own way rebel against you every day, every week, every moment, almost. And yet, your grace, your forgiveness, your love pours down on us. Your posture models for us the posture we get to share with our neighbors. Lord, we pray now for the courage to be vulnerable before you, to be honest with you. But Lord, also then the courage to choose your way forward. Lord, to turn the other cheek, to love our neighbor as ourself. Lord, to love, to forgive, to reconcile as you have reconciled with us. Father, Lord, we say this on your son's precious name.